You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 8th of March 2019 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. Imagine the perfect video store. It would have a great selection, right? Right! Over 10,000 videos. Three evening rentals, so no rush, no hassle. Fast checkout, 24-hour quick drop return, open late every night. Well, the perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. You can still go to a Blockbuster store, but you can now only go to a Blockbuster store. My guests Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Paige Reynolds and Marcus Hippie will be discussing this and other vital topics, including Facebook's plans to make everyone hate it slightly less, Finland's government resigns, which doesn't stop Finland being better governed than many countries, and the great global wrangle over shop opening hours. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24. And welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Monocle 24's Paige Reynolds, Marcus Hippie and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Welcome all. And we will start nowhere in particular yet, everywhere in general, which is to say that we will start with Facebook and its latest ideas for reinventing itself as something other than the platform of choice for your angry uncle with opinions. Facebook honcho Mark Zuckerberg has outlined plans for Facebook to become more privacy-based. So far as it is possible to tell what that even means, it seems to involve such exciting new features as end-to-end encryption on private messages, auto-deleting photos and posts, and an amount of crossover with Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, I want to start by going round the table, let's just do it for fun, anti-clockwise, which means you first, Marcus, uh, and ask us where we all are with Facebook in our personal lives. Do you still use it? Do you use it the same way that you ever did? Do you think differently about it than you might have at one point once? I think those privacy scandals, they haven't had any impact on me. I actually... What, last year when Facebook made it possible to download the information they have of you, I actually did download the whole package and went through what information there was. It wasn't very interesting. I just realised that I wouldn't actually <laughs> mind if it went public. Um, I'm still using it, but I think it's gone awfully boring recently when many people have stopped using it. And nowadays it's literally my my angry, sometimes drunken uncle over there voicing his opinions and my former colleague who's got some nasty right-wing views. So I think I, think I still appreciate Facebook for having some more content, more than just beautiful photos that is something Instagram seems to be more all about. But I've been kind of in between Instagram and Facebook nowadays. I use Facebook a little bit less than I did before, I guess. Paige, Facebook, as Marcus points out, still very valuable for alerting you to which of the people you went to high school with are now just massive racists. But other, other than <laughs> other than that, uh, do, do you personally find it useful? I, I, I don't personally use it. I don't personally use it that much. Um, I actually deleted the app off, off my phone uh, recently because it was taking up too much space. I think one of the main reasons, I think what maybe Facebook has capitalised on a lot is how lazy people are. Facebook is essentially like a logbook of all my memories since I was about 14. And as much as I'd like to stop using Facebook, I actually quite appreciate sort of the the nostalgia of it all and the fact that I can go back and see what I was doing in summer of, I don't know, 2010. And it's quite nice. And I actually, I don't have the the gumption to actually download all of those photos and and store them somewhere else. So at the moment, I still sort of have it just because I feel like I'm sort of almost locked in with my memories, which is quite quite a weird feeling in itself. Um, But particularly something like the newsfeed where people used to actually publicly 
post. I haven't seen anyone post anything genuine in a very long time. It seems to mainly be, you know, uh, news channels and, and adverts. And I guess that's what we're going to talk about later. And that's why they're changing their model. It's just adverts and adverts and adverts. There are people, at least in my experience, who do post genuine stuff on Facebook about their, you know, their lives and their feelings and their thoughts. My, my question whenever they do that is always why? Why would you? Why are you telling me any of this? I miss the silliness of Facebook in a way. I do think it became quite political in a bad way and with too many adverts. Because I remember when I was, uh, you know, maybe about 10 years ago or something when I opened my Facebook account. For example, I'm part of a community called I Hate Avocado, you know. So you can say those kind of very silly things and just post a picture of you looking you good on the beach. Well, Fernando? I, I hate the mushy texture, for example. Mm. But these days, if I post that, nobody will care. Probably I have to say a long, you know, article on Brexit and say, wow, I disagree with that. Or Bolsonaro posted another horrible tweet, you know. So, yes, I f- that's why I moved to Instagram, in a way. I, by the way, I've been using Facebook, I guess, since 2007. And I remember that in the first years, it was actually actively suggesting that you share something rather personal because by default it said, Marcus is, and then I had to say something. I, I think <laughs> one of my first updates was tired, and later it was hungry. That's that's how we started. <laughs> see, see, and see, we I, got it, quite far from those days. It, 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 it's phasing out such gripping, compelling content as that that has has got Facebook into its present unhappy straits. Um, If we have all decided then that it's not as good as it used to be for one reason or another, it doesn't tell us as often as it used to when Marcus is tired or hungry, for example, um, are these new ideas, and I will put this to you, Marcus, actually going to make it better or more liked or more trusted? I think... think Maybe more trusted if they're talking about all those encryption services so that Facebook wouldn't be able to read the messages you send. So I've been trying to get a grip of what actually is going to be happening. And Facebook is talking about a privacy-focused platform around not only Facebook, but also WhatsApp, Instagram and Messenger. So how I understand it, it's going to be a massive messaging service. And it's something, it's going to have a lot of power. And I think it's something we can't really escape. So I think I think the question over whether you trust Facebook in this or not is, is kind of not that relevant even, because I think we'll be using it regardless. Or will we? Because, Paige, there are suggestions, especially in America, that it is getting uh, possibly too big for anybody else's own good. Senator Elizabeth Warren, in fact, who is running for president in 2020, has come out and said, I think I'm right in saying today that if she is elected president, she will look into breaking Facebook up. Has that time come? Is it too powerful? I think it is. It's extremely powerful. And I think you only have to look to uh, its engagement with fake news, um, you know, recent it's, it's massive data breaches. You see how much power Facebook has to affect ev- everyone's lives and, and their human rights, really. Um, and I think Facebook becoming more private, while that, that sounds kind of surface level quite positive, actually what Facebook want to turn to is it's sort of becoming like an operations system for your entire life. So they want to be able to have secure payments um, so you can pay your utility bills or so that you can uh, order meals. You know, they, they kind of want to um, have this grip, I feel, on, on everyone's lives where it's actually impossible to get by, it, it, you know, particularly in a sort of a big metropolitan place like London, perhaps, without Facebook. And I think they're going to model themselves very much like WeChat which is the service in China, which already has all of these features. Um, and, and WeChat has always resisted adverts because they know that if people want to be, you know, uh, very much involved with an app, they want it to be as personal and as useful as possible and not have all this sort of like 
you know, tat you know, of, of adverts all the time. Um, and I, quite interestingly, uh, Alan Zhang, who's the creator of WeChat, um, who's always resisted pressure uh, from sort of trying to put more ads on, he said, if WeChat were a person, it would have to be your best friend so that you'd be willing to spend so much time with it. How could I post an ad on the face of your best friend? Every time you see it, you have to watch an ad before you can talk to it. A strange analogy, but also <laughs> quite a scary one. If, you know, if that is what Facebook's after and they're trying to become so close to you that, you know, may- maybe we do have to be a little bit a little bit afraid. OK, well, let's move on slightly and look at Finland, uh, Marcus's homeland. Even as we speak, Finland may be descending into a state of Hobbesian anarchy following the abrupt resignation of its entire government. The queue for the massed synchronised sword falling has been the failure of Prime Minister Juha Sipila to make his planned welfare reform stick. Although, given that there's an election due next month anyway, there may just be a touch of the theatrical about the gesture. Uh, Marcus, briskly, if you will, oh. What has actually happened here and why has it happened? So this has been something, I've got quite a few friends working as journalists in Finland and this is something they've been reporting for years now following the reform. The reform the government tried to push through when it comes to the country's health and social services. So Finland, if I explain this as briefly as I can, Finland is having an increasing aging population crisis. Actually, Finland already is one of the oldest populations in Europe. So the issue is that they have to generate money from somewhere. They have to make services more efficient to take care of all those people who retire and will need more help in the future. And that's why the government was trying to push through this model that would have more space for businesses and commercial services when it comes to healthcare and social services. And obviously, that's been extremely controversial and it's been extremely complicated. And basically... After years of fighting over this, it was finally realised that there's no way the government can finish this project by the time there is going to be the next parliamentary election next month. Just imagine a government committing itself to an incredibly complicated, difficult project without nearly enough time to complete it before everything went terribly wrong. Um, It did prompt... uh, Page's suggestion, in fact, that we we, we expand this discussion into into a, a, a this this will be the political equivalent of Monty Python's four Yorkshiremen sketch, I think, where, <laughs> where 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 people sit around boasting about how tough things are for them. We were trying to figure out that of the four countries represented at this table, which is presently the worst governed. Now that is an impressive opening shot from Finland, having the entire government resign. But it, it's my contention, Marcus, that you're still going to lose this contest. Even even though you don't even have a government. Actually, I mean, actually the government was asked to continue as, as a caretaker government, so basically nothing is changing for the next five well, in, months. They're in, running in, the country in, anyway. In, in, in which case you haven't got a hope, and I don't even know why we're talking about this, but those, the, but those aching, yawning minutes until the break aren't going to fill themselves, so let, 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 let's, let's, let's do this. Um, we want to demonstrate that despite the government resigning, Finland is still actually a better governed country than any of our homelands. Uh, I will make my case for Australia now. Um, As regular listeners will be aware, we have over the last few years been changing Prime Minister about every 20 minutes or so. It may be me uh, right now as we go to where I'm not actually sure, but on current pace I would be done by the time we get off. Anyway, um, there is an election due in May or something. The current government's going to lose, so everybody's in a bit of kind of, you know, last day of term mode, really. No one really takes anything seriously. But as I've also said many times before in this space in Australia, it doesn't really matter who's running it. I mean, the country basically works. It's nice. It's all right. Water comes out of the taps. You know, thing, things get done. Um, it's it's all fairly irrelevant. So I, despite the fact that really nobody's watching the shop, 
Australia's basically fine. Uh, which brings us, Fernando, to your home country, uh, Brazil, where this week in particular, I understand the public discourse has taken a curious, I'm going to call it, turn. It's interesting because we, you know, Bolsonaro, when he was elected, he wanted to change the image of Brazil for the well, better. But he was responsible for including the word golden shower in the headline of the New York Times. And you're going to need possibly to explain how that's occurred and remember that there may be children listening. Of course. So, for example, he shared uh, a pornographic video on his account, which people were shocked. And some people even asked for his <laughs> impeachment because he was a accusing some members of the carnival in Brazil of, you know, say this is what's happening, carnival in Brazil. He was trying to be very moralist about. But then a lot of people say, hold on, you know, my, my children, they, they actually have a Twitter account and they can see this from the president because... Uh, and, and then... I mean, so hang on, hang on. Just, just let me back up here and get this straight. He tweeted a pornographic video as an example of the kind of thing he doesn't want to see happening. Exactly, exactly. Brilliant. And, and, but of but of course, in the end, every single Brazilian. For <laughs> example, that, that was something that actually happened at the carnival. No, you know, it did happen, but you know, it was an isolated case. I don't think most people that celebrated carnival <laughs> did that act in the video, which was indeed, you know, involving that that thing that I mentioned. I feel like we might be responsible for a sort of peak in Google searches. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and honestly, and, and then the main newspapers and, and and all the TV networks in Brazil, you know, they had sexologists explaining exactly what is that. So in the end. Bolsonaro, he really made the whole country talk about that. So that was the main topic of Carnival, unfortunately, because there's been a lot of political protests during Carnival as well and other things that perhaps would be, would be worth saying. But, you know, he clearly is a bit like his colleague, Donald Trump. He doesn't use social media, f- you know, I'm glad that's the compa- I'm glad that's the comparison you made, Fernando. I thought you were about to go somewhere else with that entirely. No. Um, Paige, that does bring us to the United Kingdom, the country in which we are sitting. Uh, on current schedule, three weeks from right now, you will be enjoying your last few hours as a citizen <laughs> of the European Union. Um, so... Measured against, for example, Finland, Australia and Brazil, how well do you think the United Kingdom is being governed right about now? Look, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'd be kidding myself if I said well at all. I mean, look, Theresa May spent last night on the phone to European PMs, uh, pleading with them for some kind of like negotiations on this deal of hers. She's going to Brussels in a last-ditch attempt another last-ditch attempt um, before the second meaningful vote. The first meaningful vote, let's let's not forget, um, saw the largest defeat for a sitting government in history. Uh, May's deal voted down by 432 to 202 votes. Uh, two weeks ago, we had 11 MPs dramatically defecting from Labour and Conservative to form a new group. Um, so we're seeing splits all over the place. Um, and although that looked group looks like it might have lost some steam. Uh, who knows? I mean, we were talking about even this morning, we were talking about on this morning's Globalist, um, this potential new wave of Irish republicanism sort of whispers or maybe even calls for another Scottish referendum. And yeah, Commons has uh, 12 working days now to figure this whole mess out. Um, and I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't think anyone really does know. And that's maybe the one beauty of Brexit is that if someone asks you what's going on in UK politics, you're allowed to say, I've got no idea, because no one does have any idea. Other than that, though, would you say things are going basically pretty well? 
Yeah, basically pretty well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah okay. okay, okay. <laughs> so, 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 Marcus, just to, to go back to where we came in with this and the, the resignation and then apparent not really resignation of Finland's government, it's basically all going to be okay, Finland, isn't it? I mean, you won't have resorted to cannibalism by this time next week as, as a people. No, no, no. I think still it's interesting what this government has been doing and how they've been very, they've been very bad in trying to win, trying to win over people's support over there. So they've made some controversial changes. So for example, Finns in employment have to work a bit longer for the same money they get. I think it's something like 15 minutes more per week, but still that caused a massive outrage when that was introduced a couple of years ago. Also, it was just in the headlines this week, earlier this week, that there was also taxi services reform in, in Finland it was basically more competition allowed in Finland when it comes to taxi services. And as a result, the services supposedly got significantly worse and in the Helsinki region, prices went up by about 15%. So that wasn't a great example of privatization there either. So the government hasn't been doing awfully well. So I think one of the reasons why they now resigned was to try to kind of rescue their face before the election when it's likely that the main parties of this coalition government are not going to be doing that well. Sorry, guys. I think I won. I think my country is the worst government. Do you all agree? Uh, with that? I think. I think. Well, actually, I don't know. I think. I think you wouldn't live long on the difference between Brazil and the United Kingdom just at the moment. I'm going to call it a draw, and I'm in charge. So that, that's <laughs> okay. the result. Um, but before before we take a short break, a, a couple of Finland-related plugs, which is the new issue of Monocle magazine, which is on a newsstand near you now or now about, uh, contains my account of spending ten days aboard a Finnish icebreaker in January. Uh, at the risk of giving away spoilers, it was very cold. Um, <laughs> there is also uh, a two-part film shot by Helena Cardova uh, of Monocle Films up on Monocle's website right now, monocle.com. I do recommend it. It looks lovely. And the, and the great thing about watching it as a film is that you can be indoors and warm while you are watching it rather than standing outside on the deck in minus 30 degrees Celsius plus wind chill, which is what we were doing. Um, we are going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Miller, along with Paige Reynolds, Marcus Hippie and Fernando Augusto Bichette. Coming up next, are your nearest shops open too long or not long enough? Weighing in at almost 400 pages, the Monocle Guide to Cozy Homes is packed with everything you need to know about making a great place to live. The book is filled with handsome residences and all the contacts you need to make a home that will last a lifetime. And it's a book that celebrates the people who know homes should be able to cope with kids, dogs and a few scuff marks too. It's a book that knows a home is only as good as the community it's in, and it's a book that takes you through the front doors of everything from mountain hideaways to modernist towers. So be cosy and buy your copy today at monocle.com. You are back with Midori House with me, Andrew Miller, still with me. Ah, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Marcus Sippi and Paige Reynolds. And let us turn now to the question of shop opening hours. Strap yourselves in. In Zurich, a move is afoot by some local politicians to liberalise opening hours during the summer to the benefit of those residents or visitors who might fancy a drink after 10pm. By way of contrast, entirely coincidental but nonetheless useful for the purposes of setting up discussions such as this, the Japanese outpost of the 7-Eleven Empire 
is to experiment with scaling its opening hours back from their present 24 hours. Um, Fernando, first of all, I think I speak for most people in saying that basically I believe literally everything should be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless it's remotely within earshot of where I live, in which case it should open for maybe at about 10 minutes at lunchtime on a Thursday. I have to say I agree. I'm a very excellent. Well, that's you know, all I, I think you know the longer hours, the better, in my opinion. Especially because I'm a night owl, so I feel it's quite frustrating. Even Sundays, you know, where you know, first of all, I think things open here in the UK at least at twelve, and they they finish at they close at five or six. That's too early. Or when you go to a restaurant, that's the worst. When you go at nine p.m. and then the waiter said, "Oh, we're going to close the kitchen in about half an hour." I mean, that's just the beginning of the evening. You know, come on. You crazy Southern Hemispherean types. Actually, I'm a crazy Southern Hemispherean yes. type. I don't know what I'm talking about. But what what I'm, my question is, my concern is, Marcus, and I, I don't know what it was like growing up in Finland when you were growing up, but is there something to be said for a certain amount of enforced boredom? I mean, I grew up for part of my childhood in Canberra, which on Sundays is or it was at the time, um, extraordinary. And this is why I speak 27 languages. There was nothing else to do. I think it's interesting because I grew up where I grew up in the country. I don't so speak the closest, 27 languages. The closest shop is 10 miles away. And what I remember <laughs> from my youth was that I wasn't feeling inspired and creative all the time. I was just bored. And there was nothing to do. And I was just bored and waiting to leave. And sometimes I would cycle to see the shop and buy something from there. That would be the highlight of the week in the summer. No, because of that background, I'm really very much into like extended opening hours as much as you can. And I think I think in the UK, it's it's great. You're going to basically, you know, if you live close to central London, you can find shops open. I, I think restaurants are another thing and, you know, bar closing times and all that. But you can normally find a shop that's open. Uh, whereas in Finland, one of my issues with Finland still is that you can't buy wine from shops. And like there's the state. Monopoly, and you literally cannot. If you have a dinner on Sunday evening planned, and you forget to buy your wine by say eight o'clock Saturday evening, the next opportunity for you to get hold of a bottle of wine is on Monday morning at oh nine God. o'clock. I think that's wrong. <laughs> that's tragic. It's a violation of rights. Um, I, I think those are possibly those two, Fernando and Paige, o- overreactions to what is, let's face it, minor inconvenience in the scheme of things. Uh, Paige, wh- where are you on this? Should just everything be open all the time? I mean, not all the time, but I think it is, I mean, less about sort of maybe nightlife, but I find that banks close super early, particularly when I was in, um, I used to live in Dublin. The banks would close at about 3 p.m. Then they'd open up at nine and close at three. And something the same with the post office, also very, very short hours. And those are like really crucial things to sort of, when you're sort of uh, living your life to have open at reasonable times. And I just don't understand why a lot of shops seem to open at the times when you will definitely be sat you know, in work at your desk. It but doesn't really make any sense. But isn't the answer to that that nobody actually wants to work night shifts in 7-Elevens or anywhere else? Yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting. I think, yeah, it must it must suck for those people that, that have to stay up all night. Having said that, I think uh, for some people, it's important for them to be able to choose when they work. You know, I think a lot of people, and again, it's not an ideal situation, but if you're you know, supporting a family and, you know, one person's got to work during the day, the other person's got to work during the night. I mean, there are people for which that is the reality. And I think it's good to have different types of shifts for different types of people. Maybe even for creative people, if you're a writer or a musician, it's important to be able to, you know, have be able to uh, have flexible working hours, to work during the nights, to have your days freed up. So I think there really is a market for it. Um, and just the, the nighttime economy in general, actually, quite interestingly, um, there was just a, uh, a study posted um, 
by uh, the London uh, city government. And a study found that 1.6 million Londoners usually work evenings and nights. Um, so this is a lot of people that we really need to kind of cater for. And I think it would be a, a shame if everything just closed up shop at 5pm. And it's very sad, for example, I live uh, in, you know, in a central location in London where people, you know, they do go out to parties. But it's, it feels quite sad because suddenly in the weekend at 2am or 3am, everything closed down. And then you see a lot of drunk people in the street. I wonder if there would be like more food establishments opened at that time, if perhaps they would be eating and, and even curing their, their, their hangovers as well. Uh, maybe I'm <laughs> feeling very positive, but it could be a solution, you know. I actually, I actually see similarities between Zurich and Helsinki, for example, over here. Because in, in Zurich, the question is about summer months and about whether you should be able to be outside on a terrace having a drink after 10 o'clock in the evening. And that's something Helsinki, for example, has been thinking about very much as well. And it's always difficult to try to find some, some kind of a solution that works both for residents who are living next to these terraces and for those people who want to have the drink and enjoy the warm weather and, and, and bright nights. And I think Helsinki has been taking the right steps. So when you go there nowadays, you actually find more and more terraces that may not be right in the immediate heart of the city. But if you go a bit outside, you'll find some of the most beautiful spots of the city where you can also have a drink late. Okay. well, on that upbeat note, we will move along finally and seamlessly on the subject of shops and them being open to the settlement of Bend, Oregon, which will henceforth be able to boast of being the location of the world's last surviving blockbuster outlet. This follows the closure of the world's second last blockbuster outlet, which was located in a suburb of Perth in Western Australia. In the not-too-distant past, only about 15 years ago, in fact, there were nearly 10,000 blockbuster stores worldwide. Um, and now there's one left. Uh, Fernando, would you travel all the way to Bend, Oregon, in order to visit a blockbuster store, which is what the owners of this store are now hoping is going to happen, that well, this will make them a destination? You know what? I always wanted to visit Oregon, and if I do go there, I would like to visit, because Blockbuster brings so many beautiful memories in my mind, even though it's been a while since uh, since I put foot which, in one. Which, which beautiful memories does it bring back, and when did you last set foot in one? Well, well, last time, I think, I believe it was 2004 uh, in Brazil, and we used to have 127 blockbusters in Brazil. And I remember when it opened in the mid-90s. For me, it was like magic. You know, I, could, I saw all those films. Of course, we had video stores, but I think Blockbuster, it was different, and they sold microwaved popcorn, you know, which for me was quite... It's a new thing at the time. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I remember when I was trying to get the, the, the DVDs for, not not the DVDs, sorry, the videos for Jurassic Park. And, you know, and it was quite hard to get it because I used to, I, I was going on Friday evening and then there was no copies left. But do you know what's the la- la- last film that I ever rented at Blockbuster? Do tell. It was Oliver Stone's flop, Alexander, back in 2004, which was three hours and a half what a boring film, but, <laughs> but it sticked in my mind. That was the last one. Um, Paige, from this end of the table, I, I can hear your mind boggling at these tales of olden <laughs> times. Uh, is, is there anything about this that sounds actually appealing to you at all? I actually, I, I was around for, for, for the blockbuster. <laughs> I remember I really, what I really remember, what I thought was really fascinating is um, uh, the way that the shop would shut, but they'd have a little like post box where you could post back uh, your videos and I thought that they'd do some kind of magic in there and then the, 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 the uh, video would maybe sort of make its way back to the archives obviously just someone uh, emptied that the next day and um, but for me it was it was kind of like magic but when I was reading about Blockbuster I did not realize how prolific they were in 1989 a Blockbuster store opened every 17 hours I mean that's crazy I mean now there's only one it's a bit sad 
It is in Bend, Oregon. Marcus, did you did you spend a lot of time in blockbusters? Did you have such things in Finland? You know, to be honest, I don't think we had blockbuster in, in Finland. <laughs> no, we had our own version, which was which was Makuoni, and I just noticed at some point. I was point hoping you were like, going to say there was a Finnish blockbuster, but it was spelt with like six Ks in the middle. No, <laughs> no, it, it had a totally different name, and and we used to have many many of them, and all of a sudden they they didn't really offer any any videos anymore. It was all about candies. And well, that concept didn't last for long either. Like, the video think... shop that didn't have videos exactly. in it. No, I, I, wasn't, I can see wasn't the problem. a success format. So nowadays, sadly, no, we don't have them anymore. And I think it's actually astonishing. I've been thinking about how amazing it is in cities, actually, that there were so many of those video stores and all of a sudden they disappeared and they were just simply replaced by something else. It's sad because many films, actually, uh, we talk about streaming these days, but many films you can't find, actually, on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And I think one of the reasons that this shop is open in Oregon, because if you want, like, let's say, a classic from the 80s perhaps the only way you can actually find the film is going to that going there good reason to go can't you just go on amazon and get a second hand copy for 5p posted to you <laughs> sometimes they're very rare andrew sometimes you have to pay 100 dollars <laughs> or plus so. i think quite, quite a lot of the time those films from the 80s aren't nearly rare enough <laughs> i think it's maybe just like the experiential factor as well like I, i remember going down with my brother and my mum on a friday night after school and you go and you rummage through all the different videos and then we'd have to have some sort of like family agreement on what film we'd get and nowadays you just go home and you go upstairs to your room you shut the door and you just sort of watch a, a film on your laptop it doesn't really have the same i don't know it doesn't have that how, how is that sense. not an improvement in absolutely every, <laughs> absolutely every respect nowadays it's terrible we have to watch the thing we actually wanted to watch no but you don't stumble across every anything do you you don't stumble across alexander everything's targeted you know <laughs> everything on demand is targeted by you might like this and you might like that and suddenly you're just watching what netflix wants you to watch you know it doesn't it doesn't cater for the fact that you might be slightly different from what you've watched in the past so, you know? so, you know? so, so, so what you would like just before we close <laughs> is you would like the chance to have three hours of your life wasted by watching Oliver Stone's dreadful film about Alexander the Great, which you picked up on a whim because the Blues Brothers was unavailable again. Look, Andrew, I'll, I'll try it this weekend. I'll get back to you on Monday. We'll see. Okay. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Paige Reynolds, Marcus Hippie and Fernando Augusto Pacheco, thank you for joining us at Midori House. The show was produced by Fernando, researched by Nick Manise, and our studio manager was May Lee Evans. More music next at 1900. Marcus is back with the menu and I'm back with more on the day's main stories on the daily at 2200. Midori House returns on Monday at 18. London time. I'm Andrew Miller. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.